Welcome to A Rabbi and a Lawyer Walk Into a Bar, a podcast with relatively well-informed and irreverent musings on religion, news, and society. And now, for your hosts, Rabbi Asher Lopatin and John Geringer. Hey, John, how are you? Hey, Asher, doing well yourself? Good, thank God. You know, I, the nine days are getting uh, the week of Tisha B'Av, the status day of the Jewish calendar, so I can't be too happy. And, well, can uh, we be a little bit happy about the fact that we are ce- celebrating our one-year birthday? Happy birthday. Oh, happy birthday. This is so exciting on podcast. How about you said we have over 30 podcasts? Yeah, something like that. We've actually done it. We actually stuck to it, surprisingly. <laughs> This was a vision you've had, John, for many, many years. So it, it is exciting to do a year. You know, in Judaism, we have anniversaries for your sites where when you've died. <laughs> we ain't dead yet. Yeah, no, birthdays are well, not as common, but Pharaoh's birthday and, you know, and, and they're significant. Definitely, definitely they're, they're milestones because, of course, the, the Torah talks about going into the army at 20 or when the Levites started to serve. Years do count. They do count. And this is exciting to have a, a year under our belt. Does it count less because you haven't accomplished anything? <laughs> Whoa. Wow. No, what do you mean? This no, is- not as a, as a baby. You haven't accomplished anything. Once you're dead, you've got a lifetime of stuff that you've accomplished, right? I see. Right. No, but you know. 30 mi- 30 days is a, is a milestone for a baby even. So some of the counting for the Levites, 30 days. John, I think we've accomplished a tremendous amount in this one year and talked about a lot of different things. I agree. And I'm proud of what we're doing here. Here's, the, here's my question to you, right? Throughout the year, it's been relatively easy for topics. We've hit all the holidays. The holidays come and go. Now that a year is gone, I'm worried we're going to be redundant. Well, so I've thought I've thought of this a little bit. First of all, you know, how much are people going to remember from one week, you know, one podcast to the next? I certainly won't. But that's I mean, a problem. The easiest I guess. year for a rabbi has to be that first year at a synagogue because he can say whatever he wants. <laughs> yeah. Well, you got to go to a new synagogue every year, really. You got a very <laughs> short lifespan. But I remember asking a friend of mine who's a rabbi, like, you know, I I feel like I'm repeating myself. And you know. There is an old yarn about rabbis have only have one sermon and they just give that sermon in different varieties, but it's really the same, same sermon. And I kind of feel that sometimes my kids joke about that because they, oh yeah, there you go again with your idea on innovation or your idea on this stuff, but that's our counterintuitive or some kind of things, but. Do they have a bingo card? Exactly. <laughs> that's a good idea, actually. And that might be, maybe we'll give out little prizes for people who can, you know, go to our website and tell us that we've repeated a certain theme more than two times. So yeah, we have talked about swag and maybe now's the time to pull the trigger. Right, right. The other thing is, I remember Rabbi Aaron Soloveitchik of Blessed Memory uh, was the rabbi at Mariah Congregation in, in New York. And he said, once the Chazen you know, rabbis and cantors, they don't always get along. And so they, at least they, they, they're frenemies, they're frenemies, let's say, and they take digs at each other. So the chaz and the cantor once told Rabbi Soloveitchik, you know, Rabbi Soloveitchik, 
you gave that same sermon last year. And Rabbi Soloveitchik says, every week you sing the same thing and the same tunes. So don't, you know, criticize me. So, so, you know. Not Jewish professionals, can you feel the love? Yeah. So, but I think we'll jazz it up and we'll, I, I actually, one other thing is Rabbi Joseph Soloveitchik, or Yosef Soloveitchik, the great, Soloveitchik, you know, whenever he gave a class and it was, a, if it was a class that he had given over, you know, let's say they did the same tractate of Talmud that he had taught 10 years ago, he would sit down and relearn it and say, I'm not just going to give the same class that I gave before. I'm going to totally think about it in new ways. And, you know, I think, John, that's what we're going to do about the holidays and the events that occur. We're going to hopefully you know, we're, we're, we're not Generation Z, we're not Gen Zers, but hopefully we can come up with some new, new ideas, even as we address some of the similar kind of things that occur in the, in the year and, and kind of in current events. And I do that when I teach as well. I remember just, was it last year, I was teaching something called the uh, Posse Comitatus Act, which basically limits the ability of the military to serve as law enforcement functions here in the United States. And, and two years ago, you know, there was already the Army can't do it, the Marines, the Navy, the Air Force can't do it. Fine. Two years ago, they added Space Force to it. So I'm glad I checked the law that they actually, A, it was funny that they added Space Force, that Space Force can't engage in domestic activities here in the United States. I'm thinking Buck Rogers in his <laughs> 1970s shirt, right? Remember that movie? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And by the way, uh, if you've seen Space Forces, the, the actual Space Force uniforms, uh -huh. uh, you know, are akin to some bad 1970s, uh, you know, Buck Rogers shows. Oh my gosh! I mean, you know, I'm, I think President Donald Trump started Space he Force, did. or it's started under him. You know, and I wonder if you know we're seeing a lot on TV about uh, UFOs, and they're opening up some files and uh, looking into it more. So maybe the Space Force can uh, earn its keep by going after UFOs. And there's a Jewish angle to that, by the way, about whether you need to keep a lot of the mitzvot, the commandments, especially time-bound commandments in space when you don't have the, the the sun kind of keeping things you know in a 24-hour cycle so there are lots of questions about space and and i imagine if there are jewish recruits or you really remember i'm a chaplain i was a second lieutenant so if there are cha jewish chaplains recruited for the space force then they'll have all these questions to deal with like the old joke about the orthodox guy who went on the space shuttle and he came off all all you know, shivering. He said, Shakri's Minkamari, Shakri's Minkamari. He had to do all three services over and over and over again, right? Exactly. But I think I mentioned this that for our Muslim friends, they're, when they're traveling, they're allowed to compact things a little bit. So they so, have five, right? Yeah, they have five, but they can compact it into three if they, if they need to, if they're traveling. So, but still, three is a lot when you're all right. first. Some smart rabbis are going to have to start thinking about this fast because it's going to happen. I actually, I'm more worried about the fact that books are going to go away and how do we use tablets on Shabbos? Yeah, that's a great, because uh, most, uh, certainly in the Orthodox world, uh, most authorities, I mean, pretty much all authorities, I should say, do not allow you, you to use electricity, like to turn things on and off 
electrical, LCD, LED, anything like that. I don't know. Do people still talk about LCD or LED or does that date me? You still have your LED watch that you push the button or the, but so if you can't use that on Shabbat, what's going to happen? But you know what we, I know, you know, that that was a question like 10 years ago, I think it was when, when, how old is Kindle? The Kindles. So, you know, maybe things are slower than we still have a little bit of time for books. And at some point, John, I mentioned that there's some books that I want to talk about. So is that a, that a segue? Drum roll, please. Rabbi Asher Lopatin's summer reading list. Yes. Okay. I just read this book, My Hijacking by Martha Hodes. It's a personal history of forgetting and remembering. If people remember, there were three passenger jets hijacked in 1970. And one of them was coming from Israel, TWA. And it stopped in Frankfurt. But it's the account of a 12-year-old woman who was a 12-year-old then now she's a professor of history at New York University. Really interesting. I mean, I love, for any in the 70s is great. That period, she sort of touches on Israel and on Jordan and the Civil War, the Black September and the Civil War in Jordan between the uh, Palestinian National Front and PLO and Jordan. But, but then there's a really powerful personal side that's really interesting. And, and, you know, the perspective of a girl 50 years later, trying to sort of rediscover what happened. So really good, good reading, good reading. And I love, I just love this, you know, the personal side and the political side. And to some extent, John, that's what we're experiencing now. You know, we're, we're coming up to the ninth of Av, which is a national holiday of mourning for the Jewish people. And it touches on a lot of politics that occurred 2,000 years ago between warring factions, Jewish factions in Israel. But then there's also the very personal side of of personal mourning and how we feel as individuals. So I love how those two go together. So I think it was an appropriate book to read in these uh, nine days. And what uh, movies are you watching during the nine days? Oh, so we have a, we've had our sad movie series since Phil Brownies, really an old congregant. I don't know if you remember him. He was a Marine. Sure. Uh, and so he came up with, oh my gosh, he's going to be so upset. I forgot what it's called, like a mosquito in every net or something like that. But anyway, he really helped with a lot of very profound movies sometimes they weren't censored properly and they had some appropriate (laughs) scenes for a synagogue but we're going to look at uh, three movies for Tisha B'Av after we say the morning prayers and there's all sorts of sad poems so one of them is Till oh my gosh what could be sadder than the story of Emmett Till and actually there's now going to be a memorial for Emmett Till in Chicago and Boy, was it Alabama? I'm sorry. One of those. Mississippi. Sorry. Sorry, Alabama. Uh, (laughs) And really sad. But I think the movie is not, it's not about his murder, which is just devastating. Uh, But I think it's the aftermath, how it led up to the civil rights movement. So it's definitely a Tisha B'Av movie. Um, it really, the, the murder of Emmett Till, a, a Chicago boy who went to the South and was murdered because of an accusation that he looked at a white storekeeper. 
it really propelled the civil rights movement in the end of the 50s and the early 60s. So, and we're going to see that. And, and I think it's appropriate. It's a day of self-reflection. And I think we got to have self-reflection in America and as Jews. The other one is escape from a Nazi death camp. It's, I think it's the cheap version of escape from Sobibor. Which oh, yeah, that was a great. I saw the movie. I haven't read the book yet. Yeah. So that I think it was a TV movie, Escape from Sobibor. But we have a cheaper version from our library. It's it's a it's still about that Sobibor uprising, a terrible death camp. One of the only uprisings, I think maybe the only in a death camp. There, there, there were there were a few others like Treblinka. There was one toward the end. There was some mini ones in Auschwitz. None of them really lasted long. And I know, in, like Sobibor and Treblinka, you, the survivors you you could number them in the dozens. Wow! In the wow. entire world. Wow! So this is a documentary about it. So and then finally, this my father-in-law. <laughs> As if you're not sad enough, folks. No, we're going to end on an exciting one called Remember with Christopher Plummer and Martin Landau. Remember Martin Landau from Mission, the original Mission Impossible and Space 1999. So Martin Landau, they play like seniors in a nursing home who go on a rampage killing Nazi commandants. So So it's like an inglorious bastards modern day. Exactly. For for the baby boomer generation. Yeah. So, but that'll be the last movie. Hopefully that'll be a little bit more upbeat and yeah, we'll feel good about things. And then, you know, because Tisha B'Av is meant to start very low and very sad. At night, we sit down, we say, we read Eich book up, really sounds like Jeremiah, traditionally written by Jeremiah. But then as the day progresses, you get more and more feeling comfort and strength. And so the, 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 the films will also reflect that, going from Till to Sobibor to Remember. So those are the films. If you're around in Oak Park or Hunting the Woods or wherever you are in Detroit, come on down. See, I thought it was halacha. I thought it was actual Jewish law that you had to watch Operation Thunderbolt. You know, it's so funny. I was thinking of that and Debbie, you know, but isn't that too upbeat? Is that not too upbeat? Well, except for the Netanyahu family. Right, exactly. Right, right, right. It's always a, like Judaism, there's always something sad, like breaking the glass at a wedding. You know, it's always a little bit sad. But, but Operation Thunderbolt is, of, is of course, about the the Sayyid Matkal, which is their version of Delta Force, led by Bibi Netanyahu's brother, Yonatan, who uh, who went to Entebbe in Uganda and rescued most of the hostages. I think one died, unfortunately. She was in a hospital separately. There were a couple. There were four. I just read about it. There were four that, right, including her. So three. and Yeah. But everyone else. You'll see in the movie, the guy that stands up when they say, everyone down. No, sorry, sorry to give it away. Spoiler alert, but it's got that great cheesy 1970s, you know, Menachem Golan for Golan for those who remember the the cheesy 80 movies like Invasion USA from Chuck Norris and oh gosh, Golan Globus, what a team! Yeah, well, they were Rambo, they were behind Rambo, also, I think, but yeah, yeah. Yoram Gal, I think it's starring your stars, Yoram Gal. There are a couple. I, you know, that was such an exciting time, 1976. I mean, 
you know, it was such a bleak time for everything. And so to have that story, and I remember there was a version Victory and Entebbe, there was a version Raid on Entebbe. And I remember, yeah, Elizabeth, what, what's her name? Elizabeth, oh boy, I'm forgetting her name. The great, oh, the great actress, Elizabeth. Elizabeth Taylor. Elizabeth there Taylor. There you go. Sorry, see, this is live. Elizabeth Taylor start, was one of the, had a great cameo in it. So, but yeah, that's a very, so I guess the question about how upbeat do we want to make Dishabab? But I think I was thinking of that movie. Definitely. It was Because I, I love to watch it every time. So let's, since we're talking about Dishabab, let's take a step back. So we we were in this area of the three weeks and then becomes the nine days starting with uh, Rosh Chodesh Av, the first day of Av. Mm -hmm. And that we talked about last week, uh, the progressive morning that gets worse and worse and worse. And then we get to Tisha B'Av and and Tisha B'Av, historically, there were five events that, at least from a halakhic perspective, we say is the reason for it. There were 12 spies that came out when they came out of Egypt to Israel and they came back with a not so great report. The first temple was destroyed in 586 BC, the second temple in 70 CE, the Bar Kokhba revolt in 135 CE. John, you're killing me. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I'm taking your job. (laughs) It's okay. You'll be a rabbi one year, one year, John. (laughs) I'm breaking the rabbi union. (laughs) And then this guy, Turnus Rufus, plowed the site of the second temple around the same time. Not to mention um, the first crusade. We were expelled from England in 1290. World War I started and the deportation from the Warsaw Ghetto to Treblinka, which you mentioned early, all that stuff happened on the ninth of Av. Yeah, and uh, you know the 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 sad sad thing about the spies, you know, these are all like a lot of the theme is the Jews, the is Jews losing the land and losing a right to Israel. And in the Bible, in the, in the book of of of, of Numbers, in the Bamidbar, the Jews were about to get into Israel, and because they kvetched and they they were angry and they didn't have faith in God, and they listened to the negative report of the spies, they were condemned to another forty years or thirty eight years in the wilderness, total of forty years. So all these kind of sad stories of not getting into Israel. It's just the the story of the Bar Kokhba revolution in one thirty CE. Uh, you know, Rabbi Akiva really thought Bar Kokhba, who's really called Bar Koziba, was was going to be the Mashiach, going to be Messiah. So, which which tells us that, you know, he was wrong, but he thought he was going to be the Messiah. Or he had the potential to be the Messiah. So, really, so so sad, and such a lot of these have such potential. The return of the Israelites. To build the second temple had potential. Certainly the first temple had potential. So, and, you know, I think that a lot of people are very nervous about Israel today. I mean, I really think it's a, Israel is a vibrant democracy. And even the, all the protests and the, the judicial reform and the bad reform, what good, whatever's going on, is a sign of a, of a, a live democracy. But I know a lot of people are very concerned and they think about how precarious Jewish kingdoms are. And, you know, it's not even in the Torah, it's not never meant to be an easy thing for Jews to figure out 
how to rule morally and ethically. And the prophets, Isaiah, Amos, they all yell and scream about how unfair people are and Jeremiah, how unethical. It's, it's, not an, it's not an easy thing. And Israel has never been an easy land. And, and the Middle East is not an easy place. And, and the issues that Israel has to deal with, with how do you have a, a Jewish and democratic state? These are all such difficult things. So everyone is kind of nervous around this Tisha B'Av time with you know the protests and everything going on in, in Israel. But I'm confident that Israel is a real vibrant democracy. And these are just signs of the, the vibrancy of Israel's democracy. What's been interesting to me is see how many people, I understand the you know, normal civilians are protesting, but when you see the higher ups of the Shin Bet and the Syrat Matka, that unit we talked about earlier, and former chiefs of staff and Mossad and former prime ministers and all the people who are weighing in on the side of saying, you know, this is akin to a civil war, this cannot go on. Leaders of businesses are signing letters. I'm not hearing, and maybe their advocacy isn't as great on the other side, uh, you know, the side that BB is is taking on, on why these reforms are necessary. I've heard bits and pieces around, you know, that Supreme Court had too much power, it was undemocratic and things like that, but they're not doing as good of a job on marshalling what appeared to be, you know, high level leaders of society supporting this in a way that you would have think, you would have thought, <laughs> would have happened by now. You would have thunk. Yeah. yeah, I, yeah but I, I think, you know, that you, you, you put the, your finger right on it. These are the higher ups. What's going on is my, my brother feels my brother, my, my sister-in-law. Well, I don't want to out them. Sorry. But it's really kind of like revenge of the nerds. And uh, the, the, the group that represents what is the majority in the parliament, in the Knesset, 64 seats out of 120, are people that really feel that they were not the higher ups, right? You're talking about the higher ups are against it. The, the captains of industry, the people in high tech, the pilots, and now many others in the army. But uh, like you said, the, the top leaders, they, they're... The lower people are really feeling, you know, that, you know, we were not represented enough and that this court was and society was stacked against us, was stacked. It, it's kind of a fascinating thing. It's a little bit like remember when Hillary Clinton, God bless her, referred to some Trump supporters as deplorables. Well, right. these are the Haredi, the ultra orthodox. These are the settlers. These are. The a lot of the Edom Hamizrach, the Jews of color, Jews from Arab countries, Jews from Africa, Jews from the former Soviet Union. A lot of them feel we are the upper echelon is is taking too much for itself. We want a voice. So elitist, um, elitist versus populist. Yeah, and it's so ironic that in America. American Jews were mostly liberals. So we're liberals, but the the folks that are in the majority in Israel are, they're the kind of people that the liberals are supposed to be advocating for, but they're not the people that want some of the liberal policies. So it's really a confusing situation, especially for American Jews. 
Well, and we we've seen out of the White House and out of Jewish groups, you know, tiptoeing gently around what they say about the situation. And I assume that uh, m- many others are are being careful about every word that they say, because you know, again, getting back to what we talked about on many podcasts, who are we to tell them how to govern themselves? Yeah. So, but it's not good for business. Uh, business are leaving. Business are nervous. It's not good. I mean, they need to, I'll say, I think they need to find a compromise. They need a constitution. They need something that can stick. There's no constitution there. So it's going to go back and forth. When when the left wing is in control, then they're going to ride all over the religious maybe or write, you know, or, or push the settlers back or whatever. And then when the right wing is in, they're going to ride all over the, the left. So they got to come up with as, as difficult as it is in America with our constitution and our Supreme Court and how states are interpreting it and all that, you need something. And Israel for 75 years has been able to avoid that really. And it's kind of coming to a head. So I don't know, we'll see. Well, right. And we have the same problem here in that, you know, I've seen some out of some conservative think tanks lately talking about, you know, creating more power in the executive Whereas before they wanted to disperse it among the states and have the states be the laboratories of democracy, whatever happened to that. And, and they have to remember, you know, it's not always the case that your guy is going to win the White House. And do you really want you right. know, more power in the executive? Power was meant to be challenged against each other. That's what, you know, the fragility of our system works because we have, you know, the three branches duking it out among themselves. We have the federal versus the state. We have, you know, th- these sources of power that balance against each other. Yeah, yeah. It's so, and Israel, you know, I don't want to say I told you so, but I've been talking, like even the police force in Israel, you know, in America, okay, I know we have issues with our police, you know, with policing in America. And and I think they sacrifice their lives, they risk their lives every day, but it's not a perfect system in America. But in Israel, it's a unitary force. It's like Jerusalem's police in Tel Aviv. They're all part of one big unit. And I think a little bit of a federal system might help Israel a little bit more. I mean, I've heard that mayors just don't, cities don't have power. It's all with the central government. And and it's not, a, it's a two-branch system. It's, it's just the, you know, the, the executive is the prime minister who's the head of the parliament, the head of the Knesset. You know, at least in England, you have a House of Lords, you have a uh, court, high court, you know, so, and you have the Queen, or I should say, you don't have the Queen anymore, you have the King. Correct. Uh, and, Long live uh, the King. Well, yeah, and, and we'll see what happens with, I know President Herzog, theoretically, for legislation to pass, he signs it. I can't imagine that he wouldn't, but wouldn't that be exciting if he didn't sign this legislation? Wow. Well, there was a good speech at Congress in the U.S. Yeah, Congress. I, I didn't get to go. I My congressman didn't invite me, but OK. Um, Shock. Yeah. <laughs> but but I know someone who was invited. So but uh, I heard it was a love fest and it was just he did an outstanding job. And he, you know, he also he can't criticize the government, but he could, you know, talk about that he wanted compromise. And yeah, he's a good guy. And and it's great that, at, especially, I think this time of vulnerability, Israel feels a bit vulnerable. It's great that he was invited to speak before Congress. And 
And I'm, I'm upset about the members of Congress who stayed away, but I'm not so upset that it ruins my being happy and so joyous at the wonderful reception he had. So if nine chose to stay away, good. Good for them. Good for them. Go somewhere else. The squad will be the squad. Yeah, yeah. And and I don't know. They'll I don't think they'll they're not doing anything productive, certainly for Palestinians. They're really not doing anything productive for them. But we you know, we can we can get into that another time. But it 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 hurts me that the priority seems to be bashing Israel and calling Israel racist and apartheid and all that stuff, rather than how do we improve the conditions and the fate of the Palestinian people with the situation we have with a right-wing government? So now how do we pivot? How do people that care about the Palestinians pivot and say there's a right-wing government in Israel now instead of just fetching and fetching and fetching? And, you know, John, you know, that might be one of the messages of Tisha B'Av that you know, one of the messages that the second temple was destroyed about because of sinat chinam, because of baseless hatred. And Rav Cook said that the way to repair that is to have baseless love, just to love everybody. So definitely that was an issue and that's around. But another issue is this obsession with kvetching sometimes that, you know, the Israelites, when they thought that they weren't going to get into Israel and the, the situation that the spies told them was too tough a situation. You know, they they cried and God was upset. Like, this is a moment for joy. This is a moment for doing something constructive. And instead, they just cried and obsessed and did nothing positive. And I think that's there's a message there that we got to be people that deal with the situation it's not, the world is not going to be perfect and, and nothing's going to be perfect, but we got to be as positive and productive as possible. And that's sort of one, I think one of the messages of Tisha B'Av. I like it. The attitude of gratitude. Otherwise it's the, the parent in the 1970s car hitting their kids and saying, I'll give you a reason to cry. <laughs> exactly. Oh, I, we, we do bash the 1970s. I feel that I'm sorry about that. Um, Look, they were an interesting era. We were watching some great videos recently of like the the Brady Bunch uh, hour. And there were a couple of others that it's just you can't describe to someone the 70s. You really had to live through it to understand what that decade was. Yeah, no, it's it's true. I mean, you know, I was I used to feel it was such a wasted decade. But, you know, it's a blessing to live through that. And it's also to it puts today's society a little bit in perspective. Yes, I know we have problems with <laughs> overheating and we have some very serious issues to deal with and, you know, polarization, but do we really want to go back to the 1970s? <laughs> <laughs> Certainly not the clothes. Yeah, no, no, those are probably coming back also. Yeah. All right. So let's get back to Tishabov. Remind us all the things we can and cannot do. Yeah, so similar to Yom Kippur, no eating, no drinking for, it's really 25 hours. It, it starts at, uh, or 24 and a half, starts at sunset and ends with dusk when it gets dark uh, on the other end. So Wednesday night to Thursday night. So no eating, no drinking, no luxurious anointing with oils or, or perfumes, no intimacy with your partner. 
and also no, no swimming, no bathing. And so, however, it's very different from Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur is about kind of being angelic, maybe, you know, you know, you're, you're to- sort of torturing yourself, you're challenging yourself, uh, but it's a festive day, Yom Kippur. It's a, it's a day for crying. It's a day for forgiveness, for feeling bad, but it's also a Yom Tov. It's a festive day. Tisha B'Av, you're really doing all that out of mourning, so much so that you're not supposed to learn any Torah except for very sad Torah. Now, luckily, Rav Aaron Soloveitchik points out there's you could spend a lifetime learning sad Torah, you know, <laughs> the laws of mourning, the Jeremiah, Isaiah, most of the prophets, Job, you know, so much, all the sad parts in the Talmud, the part about Kamsa and Bar Kamsa, how disastrous relations were between people leading up to the destruction of the second temple. So, but you're really not, because normal Torah, it learning, it makes you happy. And you're not supposed to have that, that kind of joy. But, and, and actually we sit on the floor and you're really, you know, you could cheat, but you're theoretically supposed to not sit on, on a high, a regular high chair until noon, which is like one o'clock or wherever you live, 1.30, whatever, it's daylight savings time. So at that point, we kind of rise a little bit from our state of mourning because a mourner in Shiva also in the seven days that you mourn for a loved one, you sit on a low stool on the floor. And also I should say, like Yom Kippur, I don't know how I left this one out, you don't wear leather, no leather shoes. So again, Yom Kippur is to be a little bit more angelic and different. This is about mourning. Though... I will say that I love my Skechers. John, have you gotten Skechers? <laughs> I've got shoes. I don't think they even have a name. They are the kind of shoes you wear once a year, and they're an off-brand. God knows where they were made, how they were made, what they're made of. I know it ain't leather. You know, some scientific formula went into creating them, and they are so ugly that they're beautiful. So that is the true meaning of Tisha B'Av. That is the true way to celebrate, so to speak, Tisha B'Av. But I'm going to wear my Skechers. They are so comfortable and they're slip-on, right? We should advertise for them. I mean, it's changed my life. I just get up in the morning. I'm delighted. I don't have to tie my shoes or anything. So I will it, be it almost feel like it's a little too good, Asher. I, I feel like you should have a little bit more, maybe put some... Thumbtacks in there, do something to feel a little bit more pain. You know, a little bit get, feel guilty, but they're not luxurious. They're not fan. They're not fancy. So, so really, but a, as you get to the afternoon, you're supposed to feel a little bit more comfort. You know, you start out actually. There's a meal called Sudat Mafseket, the meal that that the last meal that you have. You're ideally seated on your own with some burnt toast. Remember from Green Acres, she used to burn the toast. And so burnt toast and... Ashes, right? Some, yeah, some exactly. And some ashes. You could take some of that burnt toast and put it on a hard-boiled egg. And you, you're not supposed to bench. You, you know, normally, if you have a group, you're supposed to say the grace after meals together with others. A zimun, not at this meal. You're like, it's the lowest that not only are you sad, but you don't even have community. 
And, and, and you're not you're not supposed to greet people in synagogue, yeah. which is always a weird, awkward thing when you go for Tisha B'Av and so, you see so. sometimes people you haven't seen in a while and you want to say hello. And it's like, eh, I'm kind of not supposed to. Yeah. You know, because one of the great comforts that we have is community. That's the whole idea we talked about, about mourning and that the, the Kaddish is said in community with a minion, with a quorum. So it's one of our, the great gifts that we have is community. And, and so we do cut it out, like by not saying hello, but I really suggest that if you can find a community you can go to on Wednesday night, even Thursday morning, it's a great comfort. And you feel, you feel good. You feel like, okay, I'm sad. We have problems. The world has problems, but at least we have each other. And, you know, misery loves company kind of thing. And, and then, you know, as the day goes on, there's more comfort. By the end, we, we put our tefillin, those who wear tefillin, in general men, but some women wear tefillin. These are these sort of phylacteries. These are things, leather boxes that have portions of the Torah in them and you bind them to you. We wear them in the afternoon because we're starting to feel a little bit more comfort, feel a bit better. And then it ends. And then it ends, but it kind of lingers. You're not supposed to eat meat that night till the next day, noon. Kind of lingers. The temple was still burning into the next day, right? Exactly. So, but next day is Friday, TGIF. So get ready for Shabbos and we'll have good things ahead. Yeah. And I felt a bit of a microcosm of that. The last, the three weeks I had been to about, I kid you not, five or six funerals. I, I've lost track and, and accompanying Shiva houses. And you, you know, you felt that whole spectrum of feelings. Some were more tragic than others. And, and some of the Shiva houses were more upbeats, the wrong word, but a, a, a little bit more interaction than, than others. And, and you could tell and some of the shiva houses I went toward the end, and it, it the mood got a little bit lighter on some of them, and and I think a you know a big part of it was the the mourner had in in all all the cases a, a great community around them that was able to serve as support. Wow, yeah, it's so important. You know, I, I know that post COVID, some people feel yeah I don't need community so much and this and that, but we do need community, and we need we need to come together, and and you know. Ideally, even diversity. And, you know, so this, this Tisha B'Av, don't say hello to anybody. But <laughs> this Shabbat, say Shabbat Shalom, say hello to everybody. If you're not Jewish, say hello to everybody anyway. And if you're Jewish, say hello to everybody. And let's just get everyone together. Let's really pull people together. Well, I had community diversity and Shalom on my bingo card for you. So I, I, I can say bingo now. <laughs> I know I but you know cannot say that enough cannot say that enough well this is great you've left us with a good hopeful spirit to bring us through Tisha B'Av and then let's talk about some happy uplifting things on the other side <laughs> uh, we will search for them yes search for them in the there meantime are those things California California has lots of water now that's a great article like no it, it melted slowly Thank God. Don't don't believe what you read. And we have our birthday that we're kind of celebrating, even though it's on the eve of Tisha B'Av. Yes, yes. So congratulations, John. Really happy birthday. And we'll see everyone on the other side. And to you. Have an easy fast. Thanks a lot. Thanks.
Thank you for listening to this episode of A Rabbi and a Lawyer Walk Into a Bar. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to get our next episode delivered right to you. If you really like us, please consider leaving a review and sharing this with a friend. That would really help our efforts. And finally, to contact us and for more show-related information, please visit our website, rabbilawyerbar.com. Special thanks to our production team, David Stone for the introduction music, Andrew Bauman for the artwork, and I'm Nicholas Tantillo. This podcast is co-produced with Front and Social Studios in Chicago. Disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this program are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the views or positions of any entities they represent. Copyrighted material, all rights reserved.